Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello, friends. My name is Pastor Cody, and welcome back to Voice of the Church. This being our first time, we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 1, wherein we find the people of Israel, the people of God, enslaved in the land of Egypt. And so I'll be beginning Exodus 1 at verse 8. A new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you help the Hebrew woman in childbirth and observe them in the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, whoever feared God, did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that's born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. It's an easy thing to lose focus on how God's at work in this world when we read news headlines. It's an easy thing to think that Satan is winning. Perhaps it was easy for the Israelites living in Egypt to forget about God's covenant promises. Indeed, here in Exodus 1, you find the people of God in a very sorry state of affairs. Joseph was dead. The Pharaoh who acknowledged the Spirit of God in him was dead. And now a new king who was filled with hatred rose to power and oppressed them. What were the Israelites to make of it? What are we to make of it? And we're not to focus on what man's doing or trying to accomplish, but upon what God is doing. For this opening chapter of Exodus, it demonstrates the folly of man as Satan works an enmity between his seed and the seed of the woman. He's actively at work, striving to prevent the blessings of Abraham for the world to be realized. If the line of Abraham were cut off, then the Messiah could not come and God's promise to Adam and Eve could not be fulfilled. And so we find in this chapter a series of increasingly radical measures that Pharaoh took against the Israelites, the people of God. In the first place, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. The Israelites were to work for the Egyptians, and the Egyptians certainly benefited from this relationship as their infrastructure improved on the backs of the Israelites. But the hidden intent underlining this practice wasn't being realized. 
Though the Egyptians were gaining a great deal from how God was blessing the Israelites, they didn't pause and seek out where that blessing came from. Instead, they worried about what would happen if the Israelites turned on the Egyptians. Pharaoh and his people did not repent of their wickedness, despite the material gain they had, the cities that were built, and instead hardened themselves. And so they took a second step. They intensified their slavery of the Israelites. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They wanted the Israelites to effectively drop dead from their labors. The value of Israel as slaves was lost on the Egyptians, for Pharaoh sought hard to somehow reduce the people of Israel. We see in this the terrible reality of living in sin, that even after exploiting the Israelite labor, receiving from their handiwork the glory that rightfully belonged to the Lord, the Egyptians weren't grateful. In fact, they were alarmed. Ever dissatisfied, ever unhappy, they worried. Is this not the folly of man? Can we not look about and see testimony to what man can accomplish with the life that the Lord allows him? Do we not see progress and development all over the world as new technologies are discovered, new cities are built, new monuments are raised? People receive more and more from the fruit of labor. But does it lead to a blessed life? Are people happier today? No. The folly of man is that he does not acknowledge the authority of God, only becomes more and more alarmed by things that are still beyond his control, and he strives harder to try to control them. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did. Not content with his attempts to contain the Israelites, he called for the death of the male children discreetly. If hard labor would not end the line of Abraham, covert operations might with no more men to carry on the name, their lines would fail. They would be assimilated into Egypt. And there's still a subconscious recognition of that sovereign law that speaks out against murder. They knew it was not right to kill off the Israelites. Even the Egyptians would recoil at the thought, even in the midst of their dread of Israel, for the law of God's written on their hearts. And they knew it was improper to murder babies. Is this not so with every society? People have a glimmer of what's right, what's wrong. Society knows that unjust death is wrong. Even in Canadian society, we witness this. Reports have risen up of thousands of children being buried at residential schools. Many of them were abused. And Canadians are rightfully incensed that such tragedies were allowed to happen under government direction, frequently even, under religious supervision. But such anger and zeal for justice doesn't carry forward to every child that lies in an unmarked grave. There are hundreds of thousands of children whose names we will not know, whose final resting place we will not know because they're quietly removed from society. Every year, countless children have their lives sacrificed on the altar of sexual liberation as their parents so enslaved to sexual passion and the pursuit of financial gain, terminate their lives. There's no public outcry for this loss of life. And the Egyptians were not content to leave things covert. When their attempts to contain the Israelites failed, even at this hidden infanticide, Pharaoh called for the death of the male children openly, 
The path of hardening their hearts against the blessings of God can only result in one thing, utter abandonment of all the values the Creator had instilled in the creature. That's the end result of mankind living in sin. Completely oblivious to the blessings a sovereign God can pour out upon a people he favors, regardless of their circumstances, willing to deny even the most fundamental of moral law, humanity that continues down the path of rebellion against the most high majesty of God only finds it in the very place the God of life warns us would result from denying him. Complete destruction, death, suffering, and sorrow. Rather than repenting of terrible sins, turning to the God of grace who gives life so abundantly and receiving blessing upon blessing, mankind would rather harden himself in his own foolish ways, resolve to commit further and greater atrocities, and give himself over all the more fully to his passions and desires, abandoning all sense of justice for his ignoble idols. This is the world we live in. Though great progress is made in infrastructure and in science and medicine and agriculture in every field imaginable, though civilization has the means to receive from the Lord incredible blessing, peace, and prosperity, it deny itself such gifts. Resolve to continue down the path of destruction, and considering such things could drive us to despair. But over and against the folly of man, the Lord God remains sovereign. And this God gives life regardless of the will of man. For the thread that's being weaved through this first chapter is in fact that of blessing, not curse. Yes, Israel was suffering terrible. Yes, Israel was enslaved by Pharaoh and treated terribly, progressing even to the point of open genocide. But underneath the folly of man, we find the gift of God. Exodus began by telling us the people of Israel were fruitful and multiplied greatly so that the land was filled with them. The God of their forefathers blessed the people. They were blessed with life. And such blessing was not taken away from them regardless of the will of man. Pharaoh could decide a great many things, but his decisions would not change the course of history. God had ordained that a Savior would come to redeem the world from its sin. And though Satan might try to prevent it, the Lord would see his covenant promises prevail. For all the suffering the Israelites experienced, they still received the miracle of grace. They still had access to life, both in their physical lineages and in what those lineages would lead to. Eternal life and the work of Christ Jesus, who came in the flesh to redeem both them and us from our sins. Even though the will of man decreed that they die, the God of grace chose to give life to his people. The God of grace chooses to give to us life in Christ Jesus, even though we deserve suffering, persecution, and death. Reflect not upon the death intrinsic to the world because of fallen man and despair, but focus on the one who's working perfectly, even in the midst of such terrible calamity, to bring about perfect reconciliation. So we're not left as slaves to sin, but in freedom of life. For by the work of Christ Jesus, who came from the lineage of Israel despite the schemes of Pharaoh, we, my friends, have eternal life. Now this concludes our first devotional here in the book of Exodus. And thank you very much for tuning in. And next week we hope to speak about the birth of Moses and the mediator that the Lord would send to redeem Israel. But until then, may the Lord bless you this week. 
and to be with you all.